0: You're listening to episode 179 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about doping in marathoning. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners and welcome to episode 179. My name is Letty.
1: My name is Ryan.
0: Welcome back if you're a long-time listener and bear with us here for a minute because we're going to take some time to welcome all of our new listeners. So we're doing that because we are expecting a few new listeners. We started advertising on the Marathon Training Academy as well as Spotify. We are always happy about new listeners because we have so much to share. Our podcast has been growing. So again, if you are new, welcome.
1: Letty, you want to give us a little history of the podcast?
0: Yeah, so I started this podcast almost four years ago. Our original name was We Got the Runs, and Ryan loved that name.
1: I thought it was funny just because (laughs) it matches your personality perfect.
0: Not that I have the runs a lot, but I have a lot of sarcasm and that type of humor in me. Ryan always says I have the humor of a 12-year-old boy.
1: Sometimes, yes. And no, not because of the runs.
0: (laughs) My first half year going to university, I was a declared advertising major. It didn't last, but I do remember little things such as you kind of have to put out there, unless you have a big name, you have to put out there what you do. Nobody is going to Google having the runs and running. And that was that for We Got the Runs. Now we still use We Got the Runs, but it's just the name of the LLC that we use to hold our running business. So the change of name helped the podcast grow a lot it is not our full time job. However, I am a lawyer by trade. Ryan is a medical doctor. But this podcast is our pride and joy. And we love watching it grow.
1: And some history about Letty. She grew up in Germany. That's why sometimes she says things that are a little different. I don't know if they people other say it here, but they say like, you know, I went to the university. Most, most people just don't say that. But
0: Oh, well, there we go. We try to keep it lighthearted, as we already mentioned, and fun, but we do bring on some serious guests, like seriously amazing guests, but also serious guests. So if you stick with us, you'll see that we don't pretend to be experts, but rather we want to connect the running community and bring on the experts and deliver information with good sources if we
1: can. I think that was a good summary. Um, so what's going on this week?
0: Yeah, so in this week's podcast, we are going to talk about doping and marathoning, Why? Because everybody is talking about it. There's been a lot of records and we by no means are alleging that any of these phenomenal runners are doping, but there is a lot of talk about it. So we figured let's educate ourselves a little bit about what all that means.
1: I think that anytime you have like people breaking records, which they happened recently, then people always look into it like, oh, why? You know, why are they breaking records all of a sudden? And you can look in the past on other things. Like I know in the Olympics one year they had swimming where they had a full body suit and everyone was breaking records there. And then they actually banned it afterwards. And in running recently, they had shoes, you know, that became like too much, too high of the cushion pad or too many carbon plates or something. And then they ended up banning those. But, you know, people are always looking for reasons why, you know, people are breaking records. And the other thing is potentially doping. So some people have been talking about that, like taking drugs in order to improve their performance. So we thought we'd, try to seek out the people responsible for catching the dopers and just see if they would be willing to talk to us. As much as everyone wants to think that all the athletes are pure and nobody ever tries to cheat, you know, it does definitely happen and they occasionally catch people. So Letty, you researched some cases of people getting caught doping recently, right?
0: Yeah, so we have one of, this guy used to be the sixth fastest marathoner in the world, Titus Ekiru. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, but he is a 31-year-old Kenyan, and he tested positive and tried to manipulate the health records from the hospital where he was tested. So that's really unfortunate, and one that is actually a little bit more close to my heart. That was when I ran my very first Boston in 2021, back when they had that first October marathon after the pandemic. The female winner, Diana Kipioke of Kenya, she had tested positive for doping, obviously, afterwards. So while I was at Boston, they did her, her award ceremony and all that stuff that could have gone to the next runner. So I feel like while it's not fair, it's also sad to see the runner up not being able to be in the light of, you know, they work so hard and they do it hopefully cleanly. And then they don't even get that publicity that can help them also in so many ways with sponsorships and everything else.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's always a game back and forth between the people trying to catch the dopers and the people doing the performance enhancing
0: Right. right. And, uh, yeah. So then, you know, I wanted to know more about it. I reached out to the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. Uh, shout out to Tucker Pettigrew, who is the communications coordinator who got back to me and was able to coordinate this amazing chat with USADA Director of Science, Dr. Laura Lewis. I asked her a lot of questions, very basic questions to get some good definitions, such as what is doping? How is doping done most commonly? What do we do about doping given that those marathons take place in different places of the world, who is in charge of what, what procedures are in place for monitoring this, and all this in terms of the sport of marathoning. Also, I asked her about the gray zone. The gray zone is a term that people that have researched doping a little bit might have heard about it. So she's going to explain that and some more.
1: That sounds really cool, actually. I'm interested too. So let's get into it.
0: All right. So without any further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Dr. Laura Lewis. All right, so I'm on here with Laura Lewis. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And for our audience, can you please tell us who you are and what you do at the agency?
2: Yeah, so I am the Director of Science at USADA, so the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. We're the national anti-doping organization that's responsible for the testing of Olympic and Paralympic athletes in the U.S., So, in my role as science, as director of science, I work with pretty much every single team in the organization. um, Through from education, helping to you know educate athletes um, on the rules regarding anti-doping, but also with our testing teams to work out who we're going to test with what test and ensure that you know we're we're testing the right people at the right time. Uh, And then I also provide scientific advice uh, to legal. To our legal team, um, if and in the event that an athlete does um, test positive, and there's you know various scientific uh, questions regarding that case.
0: Perfect. So we are in good hands here with our questions, and I want to start with something very basic. So um, I've sent you the questions before. I want to go to question number two. Just doping as a term that we often hear, but maybe you can give us a clear definition, and then maybe go into a little bit of what doping means when it comes to the sport of marathon running, what type of doping there is, and what is considered doping? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess
2: really broadly speaking, doping refers to the use of a prohibited substance or a prohibited method or technique, uh, which serves to enhance performance. So for marathon runners, it's something that you might take or you might do to your body to increase your performance. Now, that might be performance in training so that ultimately you can perform better on race day or it might be something that you specifically do around a competition to um, make sure that you run faster at the end of the day. So that's really um, important for people to know that um, athletes who do choose to dope might do it far away from competition just to get that competitive edge um, in, in terms of their training. So a lot of the practices that we might hear about in the context of marathon running are particularly around blood doping. And so that's increasing uh, the red blood cells um, and the amount of hemoglobin in those red blood cells that carry oxygen around your body, enabling you to um, perform at a a high level um you're you'd both be more efficient when you were running but also able to run faster and ways that athletes might blood dope would be either taking erythropoietic stimulating agents um and i know that sounds uh, quite a a lot of complicated words there, but that just basically means um, stimulating your body to produce more red blood cells. Uh, and the most famous um, erythropoietic stimula- stimulating agent that we know of is um, erythropoietin or EPO. So um, injecting EPO can stimulate your body to produce these red blood cells um, in a more accelerated time um, time frame. The other way um, that you could increase the number of blood, red blood cells you have is to um, infuse a bag of blood, uh, and that could either be from your own body that you'd taken out several... Um, months earlier weeks or months earlier or by using somebody else's blood that they've donated to you so all of those practices the erythropoietic stimulating agents um, or the infusions of blood uh, they are all prohibited um, in in sport and consider doping now there's some other um, substances that can that can improve performance um, that aren't you know, don't fall under that blood doping umbrella. Uh and they are all listed on the water prohibited list. But these might be things that, you know, stimulate your body to um produce energy or to help with recovery or to help with um with general oxygen I- intake, um, in terms of, you know, some asthma medications. If you didn't have asthma, like might might help to um in enhanced performance, so there's a there's a lot of different ways that um, unfortunately, if somebody did want to dope um, in marathon running, they have quite a, a gamut of options to choose from.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. It doesn't sound so black and white as if someone were to just take a pill. Say you take an illegal substance, and you can simply just test by, for it. So for blood doping, and somebody increasing their red blood cells and it being something that naturally could occur if they live at higher altitude. How do you guys test for that? And then also what's kind of the timeline for testing for something like that for American marathon events? Like, do they have to let you know when they're signing up and then you do random tests or how does that all work? Yeah. So
2: um, I guess to start with the first part of that question of how how we would detect blood doping per se there's I'm not sure if you've heard of the athlete's biological passport or the abP but that's a way of um, indirectly detecting blood doping and what it involves is collecting a series of blood tests from an athlete over a, you know the length of their career uh, and looking for changes in in their patterns because we're uh, our bodies are, you know, pretty in tune and they like to stay in this kind of homeostatic steady kind of state. And so the ABP uses a mathematical model to predict what the normal range would be for the athlete. So it allows for upper, you know, fluctuations up or down in certain parameters. As quite rightly, you said, you know, if you went to altitude and your body might naturally increase. So those are taken in into account but if there's a sudden change up or down which creates known patterns that are associated with blood doping this kind of raises a red flag and you know we will look into that and a a group of independent experts will look into that to see if there is a normal explanation perhaps as a medical condition that could describe that but if if there isn't, then the athlete will be approached to provide an explanation. And following that explanation, if there's still not, um, an, you know, a, a reasonable scientific explanation for these changes, then athletes can actually uh, be sanctioned. And worldwide, we're looking at about 200 athletes now that have been sanctioned using the ABP model, which is based on, you know, this indirect um, detection of blood doping. So for for our top American athletes, they'd be part of USADA's registered testing pool, and that will require them to provide whereabouts to USADA so that we can test them out of competition. And, we will start to build up this ABP profile which which documents their normal. At some of these major marathons, they they may also be selected for pre-competition testing, which is you know usually occurred in usually occurs in the two to three days before the race. And they will have their blood collected and that will be added to their profile. And you know for the vast majority of athletes, this profile is just ticking away, just documenting their normal um, state. In addition, there will be in competition testing, but that's usually in the form of a urine sample. And in those tests, that's when we're really looking for those specific substances, like the EPOs or testosterones or steroids or those kinds of things.
0: Are you looking for the perfect apparel that mirrors your love for running? Look no further than Run Swag, the go-to store by runners for runners. From witty tees to hoodies that commemorate your marathon majors to crops that get you motivated, Run Swag's got you covered. Discover the perfect blend of comfort and style. Visit www.runswag.com. Run Swag. There's something for every runner. okay perfect thanks for explaining that and let me just backtrack a little bit because i'm thinking about a competition that will occur in the united states say something like the chicago marathon or even an event in germany the berlin marathon where you have athletes coming from other countries who is in charge of testing them is it the specific countries
2: no so that's a good question and this is you know gets gets very complicated very quickly uh these these major marathons are all part of the the world athletics um, umbrella, I guess. So that's the, you know, the international federation um, that's responsible for athletics and road running. And so ultimately at, at those big events, world athletics has the um, jurisdiction and they are responsible for um, managing any results um, that come out of, of those um, events. But in terms of who collects them, the World Athletics will work with the major marathon or the race organiser um, to select someone to, to, well, to select a third party to collect the samples on site. So for the, the major marathons in the US, uh, USADA is usually the sample collection authority. So we were just at the Chicago Marathon. We were at Boston earlier in the year and we'll be in, in New York, um, coming up. And so we are contracted to, to provide, um, a gold standard service. So we, we are responsible for ensuring that the samples are collected, you know, to the highest standards, um, with integrity and, in accordance with the World Anti-Doping Code and the rules associated with that. And then we will ship the samples to a wider accredited laboratory. We have two in the U.S. that we can choose from. Um, but then the results of those are provided back to World Athletics who have their own um, anti-doping unit, independent anti-doping unit called the Athletics Integrity Unit, and they will handle the results of that. So it can be a little bit confusing for athletes, particularly the US athletes who who might be part of our registered testing pool. They might see the doping control officer one day at their house, um, and they are there collecting on behalf of USADA, and then they'll see them at at the marathon and now they're collecting on behalf of um World Athletics.
0: Okay, yeah, that does get quite complicated. And I'm yes. <laughs> assuming it's going to be easier to test athletes in the United States, but what if it comes to countries that are third world countries where it's difficult to navigate. What happens if an athlete misses a check-in and is not there? Is there any repercussions for that or does it just mean okay, he missed one, he's just going to get a new appointment?
2: Uh, so, um, I guess, I guess to be clear, there's no, no appointments, I guess, with, um, with the, um, out of competition testing. So a key part of that is that they're, they're no, no notice tests. So the the doping control officer will, will turn up unannounced and the athlete doesn't know that they're going to be tested. Uh, but usually in these third world countries, they, they do have, they will often have a national anti-doping agency, but they will have limited resources. So they're really looking to, to world athletics and the Ath- athletics integrity unit to go out there and, and test on their behalf. So. I think you know not wanting to speak on behalf of the a i u but they do do a lot of testing um in East Africa you know to help out the situation over there and they and they would follow the same rules um as the rest of the world, so if an athlete is part of the registered testing pool and then they're required to provide whereabouts, if they're not where they say they are, then the a i u can will investigate and decide whether there is um a consequence of missing that test. And and if you if you miss three tests um in a 12 a rolling 12-month period, then you can be sanctioned uh, and have to miss out on um future competitions for a period of time.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you for explaining that. And my next question, I guess, to you is when you know people, athletes, and experts both talk about some sort of gray zone, which means, I guess, there are practices that might not be considered doping or are not as explicitly banned. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So oh, I'm not sure if I've fully explained yet, but there's um the World Anti-Doping Agency WADA publishes every year a prohibited list and that lists out all the substances and methods that are prohibited in sport. And so everybody who's signed up to the World Anti-Doping Code, so that's all the Olympic and Paralympic federations um, and all the national anti-doping organisations, all the athletes that are the part of those um, jurisdictions are all subject to that list. So if it's on the list, it's prohibited and you shouldn't take it. I guess where the grey zone may come into play is that you know science is always making advances and so there are substances that may not yet be listed because they might be quite new um and we we don't know the full extent of their power I guess in sport and so they might not be on on the on the list explicitly and some athletes might be experimenting with those um, substances or methods And, and technically if it's not on the prohibited list then they're not doing anything wrong but is it really in the spirit of sport to be using such substances particularly if two years down the track the substance then becomes on the prohibited list. So I guess that's one area where people might be talking about the gray zone. And then another one might be, um, you know, pushing the boundaries on some of the rules um, and manipulating them, I guess, to suit your situation. So in sport, there's a process known as a therapeutic use exemption, and that allows an athlete to take a normally prohibited substance to treat a medical condition. And there's a, a pretty strict um, process for applying for a TUE and, you know, you have to provide medical justifications and um, really make sure that the athlete legitimately needs that medication. But, of course, if they do, we don't want to disadvantage them. But there might be some athletes that are trying to game the situation um, for some of those um in terms of a TUE and and trying to use something that they might not, you know, a hundred percent need from a medical standpoint, but you know, on the whole, those those athletes are few, a few and far between, and the TUE process is quite rigorous. That often they won't be granted a TUE if it it can't be shown that they actually really need one.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you for spelling that out for us. And obviously, this list is inclusive for amateur runners as well as elites. Is that right? Yes. So, a lot of the
2: the races, um, whether they're sanctioned by World Athletics or in the US, if they're sanctioned by uh, USA Track and Field, or even a lot of these newer, you know, trail and mountain running events, they will often um, list. On the website, and as part of the entry process, that when you sign up, you are agreeing to b- abide by um, the World Anti-Doping Rules and the Prohibited List. And you know, a lot of them will go as far as saying that you may be subject um, to testing as well. And so, by by entering, you are agreeing um, to abide by those rules.
0: Okay. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for uh, explaining all this to us and your time and really diving deep into that. We appreciate it. No worries. I hope it was helpful. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Lewis, and thank you to the USADA for being available for this interview. And for you listeners, I hope that we clarified a lot of questions that you had, or maybe, you know, put some more questions in your head and now you have some answers. And another few things that came up off record once we had already stopped recording was that urine samples can be retained 10 years. And that is basically why a lot of these marathoners get popped afterwards a few years afterwards, because there's so much new stuff out all the time. And while they can't go retro on new things that are banned, they can go back on stuff that they just find out with new testings, as long as the substance was prohibited at the time.
1: Yeah, so what you're trying to say is, for substances that weren't illegal at the time that they did their race, they don't get in trouble for. But for substances that were illegal, they just didn't know how to accurately test for it, but they can now test for it, they do get in trouble for
0: Thank you, Ryan, my native English speaker, for helping me (laughs) with this interpretation. So that's exactly what I'm trying to say. And we're going to post a link on our website post, as well as in our podcast notes, to the list of prohibited items for 2024, as well as a global list of ineligible people from the Athletics Integrity Unit, which is really kind of interesting because you can see they're kind of arranged by country and what person is banned for how long. And it kind of also gives you a concept of how hard these agencies work behind the scenes. And we don't really know about that because unless it's one of the top runners, we likely won't hear about it in the news.
1: Yeah, given the money that's involved in sports, I no doubt understand how difficult their job really is because money always brings... The ability for people to elude like testing and you know figuring out new ways to make new substances or whatever, so it's always like I alluded, like I said before, it's like a game back and forth. It's almost like drugs coming from other countries too. It's you know there's so much money in drugs that it makes it really hard to to stop it.
0: Exactly. So so that's that. So that wraps up the episode on anti-doping. Let us know what you think about it. Follow us on Instagram because we always post on Instagram and we love interacting with you guys. Stay tuned for next week's podcast episode. We are putting together a everything you need to know about the New York Marathon, kind of like a hacks episode. Obviously, this will be my first New York Marathon, but as we've told you before, I'm not going to be the brains behind all of these answers to the questions. We're bringing you on a dietitian that tells us how to best navigate this course using fueling. And also we have Kristen Smith, who is a running coach on, and she has a lot of information. She's a native New Yorker, and she talks about the course and what to expect. And we're going to answer some questions about how to just navigate that whole race weekend. So stay tuned for that.
1: Sounds fun. And it'll get you excited for your race.
0: Absolutely. Let us know if you're coming to New York. And with that...
1: Have a good week of running.
0: Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week.